Uh, we'll be in um, 1 Corinthians 1 today. We're going to be uh, launching a series here uh, this, this, uh, uh, today. Uh, it's going to be about eight months long in the book of, uh, in, uh, the book of uh, 1 Corinthians. So we're going to go slow through it. I'll give a, a very short overview uh, just to get you into that, that, that general idea of what 1 Corinthians is, but then I uh, want to look at this idea of love, uh, of, uh, of, of what makes a church uh, a healthy church is a church that is actively uh, showing and embodied by uh, her love. Uh, so I guess that, that question comes up is just what is a, what is a healthy church? Um, there are books that are written about this. Uh, there are um, many books. There are lists that, uh, that, that have been, you know, come about uh, in different writings throughout history of just what makes a church healthy. Uh, baptism, membership, uh, leadership, it's church polity, um, it's kind of worship. I mean, there, there are a lot of things that are there. Some of them are preferential. Some of them are um, not so much uh, preferential, convictional. Some of them straight from words of the Bible. Um, and, uh, and so there's this conversation about, you know, what is, what is a healthy church and how, how might that um, look today? But uh, in all of those things, I think they are, they are great and, and, and they are helpful for us to think conceptually about what a church would be but it seems like, I don't want to like divide this and say, but that's no good. I want to say those are good and those are helpful, but they're, they're only a, a mental exercise if they're not actually acted out. If, if, if a church has no love, has no activity in it. We could think conceptually on paper what a healthy church might be, what, uh, what Parkview might look like, what uh, the, the American church, what the E-Free Church uh, of America might look like on paper. We can, we can draw out some amazing things, but the problem is then you, you drop a whole bunch of sinners in and it gets real. And so a healthy church is actually one who is just living out the law fulfilled by Christ to love God and love one another. And so this idea of love kind of resonates down there. But there's a point at sometimes in churches where things go so very sideways that, uh, that you have to actually not ask what is a healthy church. You just have to boil it all the way down and say, what, what is church? Like what is church really? What are we doing? Well, this is the point at which a church planner named Paul uh, has, has come to when he writes this letter of 1 Corinthians. He says, guys, this is, this is not the way, this is not going so well. <laughs> you've, uh, you've, you've, you've come to this conclusion that you're very gifted, that, you're very, that you are a gift to the world around you because you're, you're Christians and you just show a lot of great attributes that, that society and culture says are awesome. And you've got this arrogance in your community, but it also comes with and apathy toward the community. It says, it says uh, so this, uh, this church panel, Paul, he used to be a, a Jewish. This is the guy who, um, uh, who writes the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, Paul, he's a, a, a more or less a Jewish religious uh, uh, lawyer. And he has this conversion experience, Acts, uh, Acts 9, where he, he comes to Christianity. He goes by the name of Paul, plants a whole bunch of churches. He plants his churches in, in, where any church planner would, uh, in big hub cities, Ephesus, Colossae, Thessalonica, Corinthians, or Corinth. Um, and then he writes these letters, and we get many of these letters uh, in the New Testament. First Corinthians is written to the church in Corinth. We're going to read that. But this church in Corinth had, uh, was a very special uh, thing. Uh, really, Corinth was a really special thing. Uh, most of the Roman Empire was, was speaking Greek at that time. And, uh, and, and Corinth, through, through some things, it was kind of the introduction of this new Latin language that was going to take over the empire. They were very educated. They were this hub city, this culture-creating city. 
Uh, I would honestly would liken, liken them very much to, um, to Iowa City. We've got a university, Big Ten University. We've got a lot of research that happens here. We culture create. Um, we, uh, and, 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 and let's be honest, there, there's a bit of us that if, 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 if we're honest with ourselves, whether it's our sports teams or just us as an identity, Johnson County, we've got a little bit of swagger when we look at the rest of Iowa. <laughs> we uh, we, we kind of act that way. Uh, toward, we act very Corinthian in kind of a fun way, uh, kind of an arrogant way uh, to the rest of Iowa. I'm, I'm guilty of that too. Um, and, uh, and so we have a lot of similarities there. Here's the problem, and I, I've said it once already, and then I'll just land it here and then we'll get into uh, the text for today. Uh, First Corinthian is written because they, they are very excellent at what they do. They're gifted in every way. We're going to read this today. But the problem is that, that with all of this knowledge, with all of this uh, gifting, with all of this potential to do good, they just sit there. They have an arrogance as a community, but they have an apathy toward the koinonia fellowship, the community of Christians. They're not showing their skills in a way that builds up the church. This is the big problem that's in Corinth. This is what I would refer to as a Corinthian heart. Arrogance, inability, apathy toward love. This is the Corinthian heart. This is the problem we've got. And this is going to ride through all of the book of 1 Corinthians. There are two answers that we have uh, time and time again through the book of 1 Corinthians. Is How do we solve this problem for them? How do we solve this problem for us? It's going to be very similar. Uh, one of the ways is to look back. We look back and, and you're going to see time and time again, the answer to the problem, to this arrogance, is the cross of Christ. It's so interesting how many times Paul is going to point us to the crucified Christ, who is also Lord. This is a really strange tension we get. The crucified Lord is where we get our humility. If we take the implications, we take the example of Jesus Christ on the cross, and we live in that kind of humility, we're going to solve a whole bunch of this apathy and start using our gifts to help one another. It said, but the other thing that happens here, that's basically... Um, 1 Corinthians 1 through 14, there's this hard shift that happens in, in chapter 15 and 16 in, in the book of Corinthians, is that we then pull out of the past and we look way into the future to the resurrection glory that is to come. And so we stand there wondering, how do I deal with today? And we look and we thankfully receive what we have from the past, this cross of Christ, and we look longingly toward uh, that, that eschatological hope, that end times hope, that judgment day where there will be resurrection glory for those who believe. We stand between those two and it brings us into our text today and it says, what do you do today? Do you get to work loving one another? Those are the basics of the faith. And you're thinking, oh my goodness, this is just another sermon on just how we love one another. You betcha, it's one of the, it's one of the, uh, one of the basics of what we do and we don't do it so well. So we have to hear it a lot, over and over again. And I love the way that Paul develops this here in 1 Corinthians 1, uh, verses 1 through 9. He boils this all the way down to, what is the church? So that's what we're going to look at today. What is the church? It's three things, according to Paul right here. The church is called, the church is enriched, and the church is sustained. Let's read these words here together. If you have a Bible, I encourage you, always encourage paper Bible. If you, uh, if you have digital Bible, great. If you want a, a, a copy of uh, printed out, we've got uh, paper up there. We've got them printed out up on that table so you can follow along. There is nothing more eloquent and foundational and effectual than reading the word of God. I could say whatever I want, and it means nothing if it's not according to the word of God. And so we're going to read it here and hear what is the church according to Paul as he writes to the Corinthians. Paul, called by the will of God, 
to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our Lord uh, and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ both their Lord and ours grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Jesus Christ, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What is the church then? Uh, we get all the way down to the basics. What is the church? The church is called, we read here, Paul writes not as one who is, uh, who is given, uh, given a title, given authority by a man-made institution. We're not talking about a cult. We're not talking about a, uh, uh, a country club. We're not talking about a community center. Paul says, I have this authority because God, the creator, sustainer, redeemer of the universe has called me. This message is not coming from some initiative. This, this is not coming from a capital campaign. This is not coming from anything other than God is telling you this is what the church is. If I'm planting these churches throughout the Roman Empire, I am also going to tell you how God wants his church to act. What is the church? And he says, just as I'm called, so also are you. Reader says, to the church of God that is in Corinth. Uh, the, the, the church of God that is in Corinth. He's not just saying uh, the church of God, you know, the Corinthian church of God, just giving their address. He says, this church happens to be in Corinth. There are many churches, and this one happens to be in Corinth. He says, to you who are sanctified. This is verse two, who you are sanctified. We've talked about this for what, the last like eight, nine weeks what does it mean to be sanctified? Who are being made holy. But he brings us into, uh, away from an individual holiness to a corporate holiness. He says, you are sanctified in Christ Jesus to be saints together. The saints are not individuals. Yeah, we are, we are all individual bearers of the image of God set around the kingdom being conformed to the image of God. But corporately, the church itself is being sanctified. We do something together. We're very individualistic in our society right now. This is a difficult one for us. What you do in your life and in your sanctity and your, and your Christian living actually means something, has an effect for my life. That's not a way we think a lot. And that's how he's saying this church needs to be that way. This is the word that I use is koinonia. I mean, it's because it's the word that he uses. It's this rich tapestry of interwovenness that we have in community. We matter to each other. Our actions matter to each other. Our lives, our concerns, our cares, they matter to one another and we are woven together. You are called to be this. Not because this was a great design for, uh, for, a, for a startup scheme for some religious organization. It's not a faith-based nonprofit plan. God has called it to be this way. So be this way. He says, this is what you were done. The church is called to be together. And he says, not only is it just here at this campus, North Campus, or Parkview, or Johnson County, he says, with all of those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, one, uh, one commentator, uh, he says it this way. He says, one of the marks of holiness 
is wholeness. If we don't have wholeness, if we don't have completeness, if we don't have a unity of who we are worshiping at the, at the basic level, then we don't actually have wholeness. It's a different thing. The problem with this Corinthian church is that under, under the supposition that they, they are worshiping the same God, the Lord Jesus Christ, which he's trying to drive them to always, there was one kingdom and one Lord, it is Jesus Christ. He says, for some reason you're acting like we can all do things a whole bunch of different ways. So we are called. What is the church? The church is called to be together as saints. He's going to go on in verse, uh, verse uh, 9. He says, and you're called to be together, not simply together as a people, but you're together because of your faith in Christ, because you are one with him in the fellowship with Jesus Christ, the Son, our Lord. The church is called. Uh, additionally, he says, what is the church? The church is enriched. I think this is the big part. Uh, that's good for us in, uh, in the Iowa City area. This is good for the Corinthians there in their, in their place of influence. The church is enriched, verses 4 through 7. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. He says, you were enriched in Christ Jesus. This is the analogy that I have of, of, um, of jumping into the, to the river or jumping into the pool that is the gospel, that is Jesus Christ. You get in and you get wet. You are enriched, not because you did something on your own, but because you are in Christ. There is something that has been gifted to you to be uh, in Christ. There is something that comes about in your life because of your faith. And this is a real thing. This doesn't sound scientific. This is reality. This is the spiritual reality of joining, being one with Christ in faith. It says, but you are rich in all speech and in all knowledge. This is the part where we can tell the Corinthians that they're excellent. He says, I give thanks that you have been gifted incredibly this way. So in their speech, I think there are three different ways he's talking about speech throughout the book of, of 1 Corinthians. He's talking about their rhetoric, the way that they talk. Uh, they present compelling arguments. Uh, he's talking about this the spiritual gift of, of speaking, uh, maybe speaking in tongues. He's going to go into that some more. What is the place of this? How you speak, the method of speaking. He says, you guys do that. And, and so your, your rhetoric's good. Your reasoning's good. Great presentations. You're speaking in tongues. That's, that's happening as well. And then he also talks about this prophecy in your speech is prophecy of both not only foretelling what will happen, but foretelling the revelation of God today. So in your rhetoric, in your, in, your, in your tongues, and in your prophecy. You do this all really, really well. I mean, in, in a nutshell, he, say, oh, he says, and it's not just, it's just, not just you know, eloquent. It's actually truthful. It's knowledgeable. You've been gifted in every way in speech and in knowledge. I mean, more or less, in the Josh Casey version of the Bible, he says, I thank God, and by the way, y'all should make TED Talks because you're great at this. Uh, that's, that's, that's the Corinthian church. They are, they're leading in a way that is eloquent, that is, that is excellent, that is, that is compelling. But if we compare this to another church uh, that he writes to, one of his church plants in, in Colossae, in, in Colossians, he thanks God as he reflects on the Colossian church. He says, we always thank God when we pray for you. This is Colossians 1. Is that since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints, he thanks them for the love that they have. He's going to do this in Philippians. He's going to do this in Thessalonians. Paul is going to mention when a church is loving, he's going to thank God for their love. We don't get that here. We actually get quite the opposite. And I'm not just making an argument out of, out, of, out of absence. He's going to go on in chapters 8 and chapter 13 
to double down and say, guys, you just don't get this. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. You have a ton of skill. You have a ton of potential, but you're just apathetic because you don't love people. That's pretty convicting to me. Especially, as I've said for several weeks, when I read a book instead of talk to a person. It's not always that you have to go to the person instead of the book, but if you're only building up the skills, if you're only becoming better, if you're only uh, advancing uh, just how you might go about it and never actually do it, you're not really the church. What motivated the Colossian church that, does, that isn't motivating the Corinthian church? He says their love, their faith, their hope. I really think the love is the catalyst for the use of gifts for the building up of the church. You have all these skills and gifts, but they sit there until love takes it into effect. That's when the church can be built up. That's when, as Ephesians, in, in Ephesians, we hear that's when the body can mature. In 1 Timothy, we hear that's how the household can be built up. And he says, love is the catalyst, but, but also it seems as though hope is the trajectory. Love is the catalyst. We have this grateful love because Christ has died for us when we look at the cross, but we also have this hope, and it sends us to a place where we don't just help people. We help them and give them the gospel, the ultimate hope, not for just today, but for, for, but for forever. It says, as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. I love this idea. This is such a helpful little phrase here, that you have these gifts. You are being enriched as you are doing the work that's there. It's not load up on the skills, and at some point you hear the shotgun, and he says, go. You learn in practice. You can draw diagrams. You can, you can, you can make outlines. You can, you can get all the data and have all the knowledge. You can think through it with understanding. And you can only get to this level of understanding what the gospel is, very robustly, how it applies to your work, how it applies to your family. But if you're not actually putting it into practice, you'll never get to that spiritual wisdom that's needed. You just sit there with a bunch of plans and thoughts. And he's saying, you got to have love that steps out into the world, takes the risk of failing, takes the risk of succeeding, takes the risk of learning. And this is how you are enriched, as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. His love is seen in you. His testimony is confirmed. He says, but it's not only as you do this, it's as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. As I said before, hope is the trajectory of our actions. Instead of of standing on the dignity of of their enriched, uh, their enrichment, and their own power, of their own uh, ability, one author says, they should have rather been standing on, on tiptoes in anticipation of what's to come. Instead of standing pridefully in your own self-worth. Be looking, be aching, be longing for what's to come. The church is called, the church is enriched, and the church is sustained. We read in verses 8 and 9. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's guiltless. It's blameless. You are forgiven, so focus your attention not on the spiritual perfection of of being worthy of God's forgiveness. You're forgiven. If you're repentant and you've expressed that repentance and asked God for forgiveness, you, you are forgiven. So don't focus 
on making it into God's family. You're there. You're forgiven. Jesus Christ on the cross shows us we're forgiven. It should give us a boldness. It should give us a freedom to go advance the gospel, to go love, to go experiment, go try to give the world around us Christ, to show them Christ. And we do that not because, just as, as a church, just today, not because we think that Parkview will always be there. So everyone needs to know that Parkview people do this. And Parkview will always be there. Or they don't need it to be built on a personality because Josh Casey, our campus pastor, will always deliver. We're going to go out and we're going to be so pleasing and attractive. We're going to be so compelling to come here and be a part of this because we just know that service is just going to deliver week after week after week. That's not the reason why we go out. We go out because there is something that lasts longer than Parkview, that lasts longer than any pastor, that lasts longer than you or me in a very transient community. We get this. It's a verse 9. God is faithful. We do this because God's faithful, because God will be there. He has been there. He will be there. The church has existed long before you and I, and it will, it will exist long after you and I. We do this simply as servants who have received these gifts with a purpose to show the love of Christ and God will be faithful to carry it. When we fail, when we succeed, when we get arrogant, when we despair, God will be faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. He knew what he was doing. He called us to this. So how do we do this? What does this look like here now today? I've given you a big compelling you know, uh, understanding of what the church is. What does this actually mean for us? Uh, the rest of the book is going to talk through a lot of what it means to be a healthy church and a not so healthy church and how do we live as Christians. But I think there are things here today just even answering the question, what do we do as a church uh, or what is a church that can really direct our, our activity in the days ahead. I think one of the big ideas is to receive the gift. There are a lot of times the gift is I've spoken of. Receive the gift. I've spoken to this a lot, so I won't waste a lot of time here. God is the one doing the action here. He's the one calling, sanctifying, gifting, enriching, sustaining. He's doing all of the activity here. We receive the action. So that's, that's one of the things that we should be doing is receiving the action. Uh, your, your homework assignments, your, uh, your work assignments, your, um, your job itself, uh, the stresses, the, the obstacles, the, uh, the, the challenges that come through parenting, through marriage. A lot of the stuff that falls on our plate, it's very easy to think of it as an inconvenience if we're standing on our own shoulders. But if we look at it as a grateful opportunity, as a gift for God to build us up, to strengthen our heart and our mind and our skills, to make us better so that we can help build up the church, then that's a very different thing. And so we steward the gift. We receive it, thankfully. I mean, that was just as much as saying something challenges you this week and you say, thank you, God, for this. How are you growing me? How are you building me up? How are you increasing the skill? How are you enriching me for the work of Christ? And you steward the gift. There's a design purpose for the gift to advance the name of the Lord Jesus Christ with love. Okay, so that's kind of next level. What are the implications there? We receive it and we steward it. How do we steward it? Here's some really uh, a ground level, things you can do this week. These are just options, opportunities for practicing this love. I can tell you through much prayer and supplication, just to clear, uh, cl give you a clarity of what 1 Corinthians 1 says. And it says, 
If your heart's not activated by love, you're not doing it right. You're not all the way there. The church will be known by your love. So what I do before this sermon, what I do after this sermon, is I pray that the Spirit will light your hearts on fire with love. If that is the case, here may be some options for you to work out that love in community. Uh, there are a couple things here. Um, serving on Sundays. We're here for several weeks, um, several weeks, and we need, uh, we need some people to just help out with this. So right there at this point, Josh Casey sitting where you're at, rolls my eyes and like, seriously, this was just a spiel for serving? No, that's not, that's not it. Uh, serving is, is something, if we are uh, an organization that needs to run on volunteers, then I'm going to give you a nice compelling speech for volunteers. Serving one another is an introduction, a low-grade way of experiencing that koinonia, helping one another. Um, I, I saw people helping set up in various ways here or there this morning. Um, there's conversation that happens, off-topic conversation that happens. There's an understanding of what it takes to actually worship together. Uh, there is a there is, a, there is a beauty that comes from doing things that you're not really that great at doing, but helping out as much as you can. It brings us, as we help, it brings us more into this idea of the church as family. We're called brothers and sisters. And one thing we say at our house is, in, in a household, uh, you, you, if, you, if you only have responsibilities and no rights, you're a slave. If you only have res, uh, rights and no responsibilities, you're a guest or you're entitled. But if you're part of the family, you have both rights and responsibilities. It's just a way for us to embody that. It's a way for us just to be a part of that. Packing up some of these cords, putting some of these uh, speakers away. It's not that we like, have to have this done. You heard me try to scream about 40 minutes ago, and we could just do this without, uh, clumsy, but we could just do this without all of this stuff. We just do this to make it a little bit easier, less distracting for worship. And so there are a couple ways that we've, we've, we've done this. We want to make it very simple. Uh, we need two people uh, every week to set up before and after. It's just putting up you know, like the awning, this, uh, you know, the, the audio stuff and all of that. Will and Andy can tell you what to do and then you can just do it. It's kind of mindless. You just do what they say. It's really easy. Um, you do it before and immediately after the service. Um, there's also uh, setting up, taking care of that table uh, over there. Uh, if we get to a point where we're okay doing children's ministry, you'll get a big, huge heads up on that. I mean, that one is just phenomenal. Well, uh, uh, the opportunity that's there. But right now, really, we only need three people every week to pull this off. And then we need a preacher and a musician, and we'll contact you, uh, you know, for, for those things. But um, that's great. There's going to be email come out. When you get those emails, just respond. Hey, I want to help. How can I help this way? Another way we can do this um, is, to, uh, is, uh, is helping in Cedar Rapids. Um, there, there are a lot of churches that are helping. There are a lot of churches that are organizing things. We're going to be posting on a Facebook group. I will also be sending out an email, just some links for you to, uh, to, to, to connect uh, individually to groups that are organizing great efforts, some faith-based groups that want to help in meaningful ways. Um, and so we want to direct you there. That's kind of an individual thing um, where we can, we can post that there and we think that they're doing it very excellently and we don't need to reinvent the wheel and compete for them and get you plugged in, uh, get you plugged in there. If you do, however, want to help out, um, if you want to help out uh, just like as a group or, or get uh, some people together and you're not sure if there are other people that want to do that, if you could reach out to, uh, to Steph Seiler and I uh, or I and, and kind of let us know. We'll bundle that together. I would really encourage you to go to, to Steph. She's our, our campus admin. Um, and, and let her know she's phenomenal at just 
taking note of people and getting people, you know, assembled and rallied that way. So those, those are a couple ways uh, to do that. Uh, also, there's safe families, um, the, the Silers, uh, the Martinez's. Uh, those families have done a great job of biblical hospitality, welcoming some children into their, uh, into their home. Uh, and I think both of them have agreed to several months uh, to be doing this. Uh, and so uh, this, is, this is, you know, over the weekend, something. Two weeks is something else, but there's a cost. There's, there's something that, that takes place ongoingly instead of just a startup um, effort. There's some, some need for that. I know Matt Eckert wasn't able to, to be here, but if you connect with him, I mean, I guess you could also come to me after the service. Uh, we've got some more details of just ways to help them. Um, even just thanking them, praying for them is good. But please come to me if we have more details of how you can help. Um, and I won't share those all right now. But uh, be a, keep them in your prayers. Come talk to me. And we want to help them out and support them as they are extending uh, hospitality within their homes. Uh, those are a few ways. I know there are many, many more. Um, and, and I would love to go on and on about it. Um, I guess one, one final one would be that we really want to think about how do we minister well in pandemic in a parking lot? How do we do a church service in a way that is very helpful? If there are, are things that are meaningful to you, if there are thoughts that you have about what I, what I wish that I would be able to do, I wish I could have a conversation. I wish I could discuss the sermon. I wish I could pray, you know, longer in a thing. We really want to do that. No promises, but we really want to hear that uh, how we do this together. Because if we just look around, this is not church as normal. And so we don't need to be stuck doing church as normal. We want to get the gospel into our community. And it seems like a conversation could be pretty helpful. So we want to be thinking strategically about how we do that. Um, it's not about building us up. It's about the church um, loving and getting the gospel out. So against this arrogance within the community, against this apathy towards one another in the community, we're going to read that the gospel calls us, the gospel enriches us, the gospel sustains us to embody the love of Christ, the hope of Christ each and every day. So this is, this is the journey we're on. This is what we have for today, and this is what we'll have for several weeks. Uh, next week, we'll be looking at uh, verses 10 through, uh, 10 through 17. I'd encourage you to read it. And I'd affectionately call this section, the next section next week as you read it and think about it. What happens when we all start fighting? And, uh, and it's, uh, it's going to be a, a, an encouraging, enriching series for us to be in.